Our scripture for today comes from John chapter 6, verses 56 through 69. Let us listen to God's word to us. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's one line in this story that gets me. Many disciples turned back and no longer followed. You see, in the Gospels, there's always a distinction between the crowd and the disciples. Because Jesus performs miracles and speaks in public, he is always drawing crowds. Word spreads quickly when the blind can suddenly see or the lame can walk or when a guy feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish. But the crowds come and go. The crowds are around because of what Jesus can do. But when the show ends, they go home. But the disciples, the disciples are around because of who Jesus is. They are following him because they want to be like him. They stick around. But in this story, in this story, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Not members of the crowd, not visitors who were just testing the waters. Many of his disciples turned back. Disciples like us turned back. Why? I think the reason is because the promise of a Messiah and the Messiah are two different things. In Israel, long before Jesus, God had promised his people a Messiah, a Savior who would come and make things right. He would bring freedom and healing. For so long, every story had begun not with once upon a time, but with the words, when the Messiah comes. 
To every blind beggar on the street, hollow eyes gazing over an empty cup, I'm sorry, friend, but when the Messiah comes, to every cripple with twisted body folded beneath him, I'm sorry, friend, but when the Messiah comes, to every beggar clutching his rags with one hand and reaching out with the other for alms, to every prisoner straining after that one little ray of light through the narrow window, to every couple now married 14 years and still rocking an empty cradle. I'm sorry, but when the Messiah comes. Across Israel, people cried to heaven, painted the picture of their complicated and broken lives, looked up to heaven with desperate eyes and asked, God, can you fix it? Can you fix my family, my body, my mind? Can you fix what's broken in our country, in our homes? And they would say to each other, sorry, friend, but when the Messiah comes, so then when you have Christians come announcing the Messiah is here, the Messiah has come, the crowds appear, and so do disciples. People willing to follow this promise, disciples finally able to look at the beggar, the cripple, the prisoner, and say, not when the Messiah comes, not when he comes, but he is here. The Messiah has come. But the promise of a Messiah and the Messiah are two different things. The promise of a thing doesn't require anything from you. You can hope without cost. You can talk a big game. I was at the gym a couple of weeks ago. These have these group workout classes that are led by the trainer. And I'm cruising on the elliptical watching this group workout beside me. Mostly a crew of ladies. And they're doing this exercise. One foot is up, standing on the other, and they're lifting a five-pound bell, and they're trying to balance on one foot and dip forward and then come back up and do this lift with their arm. So they look ridiculous. Nobody's balancing very well. Most people are just falling over. And as I'm, like, running on my elliptical with my head to the side watching what's happening, these two men jump on the ellipticals beside me. And I see one of them nod over at the ladies working out, and I hear him say to his friend, what's that five pounds they're lifting? L-O-L. He actually said L-O-L out loud. It means laugh out loud, in case you don't know. So his friend looks back at him and laughs, and he goes, chicks, man, chicks. They're just not made for this. Bet I could do that, no problem. Oh, yeah, me too, right? They're like talking back and forth amongst themselves. I could do it with about five times the weight. I guess the trainer heard him too because she hops over and says, Hey, y'all are welcome to join in with us and show us how it's done. It's a great workout. And in an instant, one of the guys on the elliptical goes, Oh, my shoulder, my shoulder's been bothering me. I'd love to, but, but not today. It's easy to talk a big game. 
It's easy to dream about one day. Everyone is good to talk about how awesome following the Messiah will be. I'm going to be able to see. I'm going to be able to walk. But talking about following the Messiah and actually following the Messiah are two different things. It's talking about how you could do five times the weight versus actually balancing on one foot and lifting 20 pounds over your head. People were talking all throughout Israel, when the Messiah comes, I'll finally be free. But when the Messiah is standing there saying, leave your sins behind you and follow me, that's when you realize Eh, I kind of like those sins of mine. I'd kind of like to stay. It's easy to talk. But Jesus doesn't want us to just talk. He expects us to follow him. He expects us even to feast on him. Whoever feasts on me will live. They will abide in me and I will abide in them. That teaching right there. This idea of feasting on the Messiah, that is not the Messiah the disciples expected. The one they had been promised. They'd been talking up what they'd get from the Messiah. They had not been thinking about what it would cost. So, many of the disciples turned away. They turned away. Because this teaching was too much, it was too confusing, the cost of entry was too great, they turned away because they were more interested in the promise of a Messiah than the Messiah himself. Whoever eats of me will live because of me. That is the hard teaching the disciples left over. Not contemporary music versus traditional. Not formal or informal worship. Not clapping in church or the silent nod. Not speaking in tongues or reciting liturgy. Not even politics or ordaining women. Whoever eats of me will live. That's what the disciples left over. Why? I suppose because if you feast on the Messiah, then he will dwell within you. You can't just get your healing and leave. Because when the Messiah dwells within you, it changes how you interact at the dinner table with your family. It changes how you go to work and interact with your colleagues. He's going to be living in you when your sins are calling you back. And as long as we're feasting just on the promise of a Messiah, we can keep on feasting on these other things too. But this is different. This is feasting on the Messiah himself, choosing to live in him and letting him live in you. And frankly, that teaching is hard. It's hard to accept that God welcomes all of me and all of you. Even that part of yourself you'd rather hide, the part that said something we shouldn't have this week, or has a tendency to lie, or hates our body, The part within us that is too fearful to give our money away or is riddled with shame or cheats on our taxes. All the parts of us 
we wish Jesus had the good common sense to ignore are welcomed at his table, are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. That teaching is hard. Who can accept it? But it's also a hard teaching because the promise of this gospel text is that those who eat of God will live. It's hard because it says, unless you have Jesus in you, whatever you're doing isn't living. Unless you have Jesus in you, whatever you're doing isn't living. Can't you feel that sometimes? Like there must be something more, like this can't be everything. So many of us go through life doing life, but we don't have any life within us. We go through life, doing life, but have no life within us. But whoever feasts on God will live. So the unspoken question behind today's gospel text, is there life within you? A couple years ago, Brian and I were going on vacation with some friends. We were going to meet at an Airbnb, kind of like a hotel. And we were searching on the internet to find a place to stay. And our friend sends us a link in all caps and says, I found it. The house looked good. The price was good. But what was perfect was this huge pool filling half the backyard, surrounded by a gorgeous wood deck, like the size you would find at any nice resort. The water was immaculate with a grill off to the side, a picnic table with an umbrella. So we'd spend the whole weekend grilling and swimming. It would be great. So we book it. Pack the bathing suits. Brian wears his bathing suit to travel because he gets easily excited like that. <laughs> we pull up and Brian honks the horn because, again, he's excited. We grab our stuff and go in and our friends are laughing. I mean, rolling on the floor laughing. Can't even talk to us. They're laughing so hard. They just start gesturing for us to follow them out back. So we follow them out back to our great immaculate pool. And there is a pool filled with sparkling water, just like the picture. But the angle of the picture had hidden that the pool is actually a bright pink kitty pool. Maybe three feet wide. Maybe. And the deck is beautifully stained, but it's tiny absolutely tiny. So Brian runs out and leaps into said pool and the splash doesn't even hit his ankles. Tiny little pool. As humans, we're meant to live for something larger than ourselves. We're meant to live for God because water to your ankles isn't living. We were made to live for God and his kingdom. We're meant to be swimming in this relationship, this cause that's wider than ourselves, bigger than the oceans, higher than the heavens, as deep as you'll go. It goes deeper over your head. That's the life we're made for in over our heads with God. That is how we're meant to live. Feast on me, Jesus says, because water to your ankles isn't living. Feast on me, and I will live, and you, and you will live in me. Feast on me, and you will be over your head in meaning and purpose. 
You'll be drowning in joy and lost in peace, and you'll be thrown around by the crashing waves of my love. But it's safer in the kiddie pool. So a lot of disciples turned away. Whoever feasts on me will live. In over our heads with God kind of living, water from a deep well kind of living. Are you just doing life? Or is there life, abundant life, in over our heads, life within you? You don't want to leave too, do you? Peter has the words we all hope we'd say. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let us pray. Lord God, we want to live and breathe and have our being in you. So Lord, give us the boldness to jump in, even though things will be over our heads, even though building your kingdom is just a little out of our reach. But Lord, with you dwelling within us, we can live this kind of abundant life. The truth is, on a lot of days, we just do life but we don't have much life within us. So would your spirit come, would your spirit fill us, that each and every day we might be filled with abundant life. In your name we pray. Amen.